Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, listeners, to our new retrospective series of the Ghostbuster films. The first, at least, is a beloved cult classic now. So, and even though Halloween has just ended, we still wanted to keep the spirit going a little bit into this fall season. And this first Ghostbusters film came out June 8th, 1984. It was directed by Ivan Reitman. I, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know. And he kind of has a track record of these uh, funny comedies. He did Stripes, which I'm pretty sure has Bill Murray in it. He did Twins with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've seen Twins. He also did Kindergarten Cop, which is a lot of fun with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he did Dave, which I believe is the dad from Back to the Future. Crispin Glover is his name. Oh, yeah. Uh, So that's a really fun one. That's a fun one. I haven't seen Stripes. That might be a little raunchy. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, Ghostbusters, it stars Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver... Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, and Annie Potts. And this film is written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, two of the main characters. Now, this film was actually nominated for two Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Visual Effects and Best Original Song, being the the classic that everybody knows who you're going to call Ghostbusters. Right. Sadly, it didn't win. I think that would have been fun to win. Best visual effects was beat out. It was beat out by uh, Temple of Doom. And for best mm. original song, it was beat out by Stevie Wonder in The Woman in Red for the song I Just Called to Say I Love You. Huh. So it went up against a lot of big names like Footloose um, by Kenny Loggins. Uh, for the song Footloose, and then Phil Collins in Against All Odds. So it had some competition, but yeah. ultimately, Woman in Red won out of those that were nominated. Definitely had some competition. Yeah. Just a little bit of history. Uh, this movie is rated PG, which I was a little surprised about. Um, I think there's something... Just comparing it to today's PG movies, I guess... Like Jaws was PG, which is crazy because now we have like Angry Birds and Zootopia and, you know, all these funny Despicable Me. Those are PG films, so they're quite different. Uh, But this movie does feature a little bit of uh, adult. It's it's definitely not rated R territory at all. No. But I think this movie does kind of show you why there kind of needs to be this in-between rating for... You know, both ends of the spectrum between children and adults. And this movie did come out right before they added the PG-13 rating. Because they they added PG-13 in 84. That's it. That's exactly it. This movie came out in June of 84. PG-13 came out July of 84. So this movie was too late to make the PG-13 cut. Right. But it definitely, I think, would... I believe it should probably get a PG-13 rating. Right. I mean, I can see it getting a PG-13 rating. It'd be a really uh, really tame PG-13 if it got one. Well, I'm kind of thinking of, like, the weird brief sex ghost dream where the ghost, like, unbuckles yeah. his pants and then Sigourney Weaver's a little sexual. Forgot about that part, like, yeah. Yeah. 
So those yeah. are the probably the parts, and it's a little, maybe a little frightening in certain things for younger audiences. Yeah. But anyway, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, the movie has aged well, and the viewers of IMDb think so. Mm -hmm. It holds in 7.8 on IMDb. Which is high. Which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, That's pretty impressive. This movie had a budget of $30 million. And boy, did it make its budget back. And I mean big time. Just the domestic box office alone, it grossed $229 million. Holy cow. Crazy. Crazy. But for foreign, it didn't do as well. I don't really know what what the foreign market was at the time. It got fifty three million for a worldwide total of two hundred fifty nine million. That's for a comedy like this. Yeah, yeah, that's big. That's a lot of money, and it's kind of funny how most of that came from um the domestic box office. I mean, I guess I can understand why because this is very much an American film. And this is very much an American classic now when we like looking back on it, one of the classics from the 80s. But it's kind of surprising how it made so little in the international box office. Yeah. Well, adjusting for inflation, the number shocked me. Adjusting for inflation, if this would have been today, it would have been $608 million just oh. domestic. Just wow. domestic. <laughs> That's crazy. It's it's unimaginable for that's, today, honestly. That's crazy. It is crazy. Well, it did open at number one opening weekend with thirteen million, and uh, Gremlins also opened that weekend. Steven Spielberg film and Gremlins came in second, and Ghostbusters, as Alan said, was fighting Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Right. For at the Academy Awards, well, it was also fighting it at the box office because uh, the second Indiana Jones was entering its third week, and I believe it was at number three, and also Star Trek Three was out uh, at that time, but they had already been out for a couple weeks. So honestly, this summer weekend was a really easy summer weekend, a really easy barrier of entry. There. You know, people had already seen Star Trek and Indiana Jones, and I don't know how people really felt about Gremlins. Uh, seems a little more of a uh, that's a little more of a seasonal film coming out in the summer is kind of an odd choice, but it was an easy weekend, so easily made number one, and then it just exploded from right. there. Huge right, hit. and I'm sure having big names like Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd on the title kind of got it a lot of public of a lot of publicity as well. Because now did Groundhog Day be come out after this? I can't remember what, um, when it came out. I'm pretty sure Groundhog Day came out after this. That's what I was thinking. Yes, it did actually. It came out in '93. So yeah, I was, so I know at this time Bill Murray was kind of a pretty big name. I'm pretty sure this actually was also helped him even more to break out, of course. So yeah, this movie definitely is. I would say it's very American. <laughs> if you ask me, just by the way, just by its sense of style and everything that it that it has going on for it. Yeah. Well, Bill Murray, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, possibly Rick Moranis, um, they were all on Saturday Night Live together. Um, so they kind of had that already going for them, and they had been in comedy for a while. And it is interesting when we do get to the final installment, at least so far, of the Ghostbusters series. Uh, most of the women in the new film, I'm pretty sure, like, most of them, if not all of them, have 
come from Saturday Night Live. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I guess I don't really watch much Saturday Night Live anyways, so. <laughs> I don't either, but yeah. I just do that part. Well, and also a big draw was Sigourney Weaver because she, uh, the Alien series right. had already been out. Right. So exactly. she was a big name also. Right. It's, it's kind of funny because I actually didn't recognize that it was Sigourney Weaver for the first half of this movie. I was like, really? she looks so familiar. Where do I know her from? And then I ended up clicking. Of course, but yeah, that first half, I, was, I just, I didn't know, I couldn't put a finger to who I, her name was. I'm used to her being older and a bit more defined, like she was in uh, Cabin in the Woods. She's kind of had a bit of a acting comeback in the past decade or so. Yeah, um, sh- yeah I was surprised. Um, Alien did come out before this. Yes. But she looks, I don't know, she looks a lot younger here. I, I put that in my notes. I was like, honestly... This is the first time I've like really seen Sigourney Weaver as just kind of like almost beautiful, I guess. Just yeah. Very pretty. Yeah, she so. yeah, she definitely. I think that's what threw me off is that she just looks a lot younger than she did in, in Alien. She really does. So, well, this film was also uh, released in theaters three times. Really? Hit. Yeah. So we had the original release, and then right. a year later they brought it back to theaters, uh, August twenty third, nineteen eighty five. Wow. And then about three years ago, in August, on August 29th, 2014, we got the 30th anniversary theatrical re-release. That's interesting. I didn't usually films aren't released more than that unless they're well. I mean, I guess unless they're just doing it just because. Like I know that one of the theaters that that my aunt lives by, it plays a bunch of old films just around the clock every Sunday they has a new one that's coming that they just show like a few weeks right. ago they were showing uh Rage of the Lost Ark in the theater or yeah. I think Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was also playing a few weeks ago as well so they I know that they bring them back but usually not like nationwide exactly so that is something quite rare unless it is something kind of a cult classic yeah. or something massively popular um and like kind of like what Alan was talking about and something that's done in my hometown is they do these kind of like special showings, but that is pretty much exclusively to the town and just right. the state. But yeah, releasing it nationwide is not too common, but it has been done before. I uh, Absolutely, Star Wars has done it. Uh, the right. Nightmare Before Christmas, clearly this one. Um, those are, you know... Always limited events, special engagements, but they are nationwide. So right. that's pretty impressive, uh, and just it's just a huge hit with how much it grossed, and it's just become such a, I don't know, beloved classic, honestly. Right. Yeah, and this definitely, I would say this definitely is. I think now the popularity popularity in it has kind of died down up until the new one came out. But right. yeah, and it's definitely developed that cult classic, kind of like E.T. Or maybe even It's a Wonderful Life. Just kind of in that same vein of just classic American film. Sure. It's uh, pretty well known. Yeah. Anybody, you say Ghostbusters, everybody's going to get what that is. And they're going to start singing the song, probably. Oh, yeah. And if you don't know it by the movie, you probably know it by the song. Sure, sure. Well, and it's it's proven the test of time. Because it is still number one. the still the highest grossing one in the series. Uh, even when, uh, even without inflation. Wow. So yeah, it's still the highest grossing one 
uh, still gross higher than the new one. Right. But I am not really going to do a plot summary because I think this film is like pretty straightforward. It's pretty a, pretty much a classic that everybody knows. Yeah. They, you get the general plot if you're listening to this. Um, and I guess if you don't, if you have literally never heard of Ghostbusters, well, it's just kind of about these like f- funny, goofy, paranormal scientists. New York City has a ghost problem. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, and there's this kind of evil ancient deity that is coming back, and it's kind of taking over uh, a friend or two of theirs, and they have to stop it in the end, and they have some pretty zany ways of finishing finishing it off that we'll get to. But otherwise, we are going to talk spoilers in this podcast, so if you haven't seen Ghostbusters, I really recommend that you go see Ghostbusters. Uh, don't let it get spoiled for you. Right. Uh, so you've been warned, pause it now, go rent it, check it out, and then come back and hit play. But let's get into it. So I really like the opening of this film. I was wondering where, I don't remember very much about this movie at all until I saw it. I did see it when I was younger. I remember being a little scared of it, honestly. I remember we had to fast forward a couple of the, uh, more insinuative, sensual parts of the film. (laughs) Right. Uh, it's been a right. long time, a very long time since I've seen this. So this is not my first time seeing it, but it kind of felt like it. Right. And for me, I have never seen this movie. I just never really got around to watching it. I've always heard about it. I've always I've always known the song since I was a kid. I but me personally, I just never got around to ever watching it. Not really sure why. I just never did. And so this is my very first time ever seeing it. And yeah, this opening just from the opening kind of shot alone, you can kind of get like this goofy vibe that it's not always taking itself too seriously, but this is kind of kind of spooky, but not really, you know. So right. I, yeah, this opening's, I thought this opening was pretty funny in like kind of a, even a sarcastic kind of way. Well, and if those of you who know the Chevy Chase film Funny Farm will notice that the library lady in the beginning of the film is she owns the antique shop and has like this stuffed squirrel she always talks about in funny farm so i was like oh hey that's her she's just a little younger even though she's still old (laughs) right right yeah and essentially what happens is there's a ghost in the library and it's pulling off as pulling books off the shelf and putting them in different places and opening up drawers with cards in them and stuff and unbeknownst to the librarian who's walking through the uh the catacombs essentially of the or the basement of the uh, library until she turns around and then spooked spooked right into the uh, late title card yeah this, yeah. this opening's pretty it's kind of silly to be honest it, nothing it's kind of funny because nothing really happens you know it, it, things just kind of happen but then it does absolutely nothing until until the librarian is you know of course turns around and notices and is scared by the ghost but yeah well I'd like the t- the late title card, but also at the same time, I was a little, eh, something seemed a little weird about it. The The words were separated, ghost, busters, ghost yeah. was on top of busters, and something with like a red zoom, like zoomed out circle that filled into the, the title itself. Eh, I feel like they could have handled that a little better. Yeah, I, I guess I understand why they did it. That way, the Owen ghost is kind of more towards the center of the screen. So when it all zooms out, it's not going way to the left. It's kind of just kind yeah. of zooming out. You know, I, I can see why they decided to change it up and 
put split Ghostbusters into two words. So yes, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, something I wondered is, I was wondering. Well, I probably should tell a brief story real quick. Actually, okay. I just said that I was like, well, I haven't seen this in a while and whatnot. Well, okay. Here's my little brief experience I want to relate to you, and I had some questions upon first viewing, but then upon, like, well, my third viewing of this movie. Yeah. Or second, I guess. I don't know. Um, some of those questions were answered, but so I rented this movie, and I popped it on, and the Blu-ray took forever to load, and I was finally watching it, but I kept getting interrupted, and it was getting so late that I was like, well okay i'm really just gonna try and finish it even though it's gotten pretty late now well i wanted to get a snack so i thought i hit pause but i hit stop and this blu-ray or player whatever won't pick back up just when you hit play it won't pick back up you have to go through like all the trailers all the warning cards you have to wait for everything to load and it takes a really long time i mean about five minutes it's crazy so i was like just forget it i'm not gonna go through it through this again uh, because that was actually the second time I had to do that because the first time I was watching it I had to stop it to do something else and then I had to restart it and then I had to stop it again on accident and I had made it about an hour into the movie so I had about 40-ish some odd minutes left yeah but I was like just forget it I'm not going to do this tonight it's already like 10 30 and I had class the next day so um, I just watched it about two days ago, I want to say. Yeah. So then I, re- I just decided to rewatch it from the right. beginning. It, but it was quite a process to get through, to get to this movie and watch it. <laughs> no, was it just because it's an old Blu-ray or is it just because you're player? Probably both. That makes sense. <laughs> Probably a bit of both, actually. That makes so sense. <laughs> it was it's, it was worth it though because I had a lot of fun with this movie, but yeah. at the same time it was like wow I just can't get this movie watched. Took a couple different tries. Right. Yeah, I just got the uh, DVD, so it worked just fine for me. Uh, that's probably what I should have done actually. <laughs> uh, honestly, the Blu-ray transfer was fairly good for being a 1984 movie. But it was really nothing special, nothing um, eye-popping. But, yeah, it, it cleaned up pretty well, I'd say. Yeah. I wonder what this would look like in a 4K transfer. I have a feeling they will give us a 4K eventually. Yeah. I can't yeah. imagine it being anything special, though. Right, right. I know that Blade Runner theory from 82, when that was released, the 4K Blu-ray I heard was amazing. So I'm kind of curious to see what this would look like. This movie uh, doesn't really utilize a very extensive color palette, I would say. Yeah. Um, just kind of muted colors. We get like whites and kind of grays and khakis and just dark colors like that pretty much. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very American. And it's I mentioned this earlier that its sense of style is quite American. Uh, it's, yeah, it's got the washed out colors. It's kind of just a bit, a bit more drab than you would normally see. It's pacing is very, very fast, though, which yeah. I really appreciated because there, I wrote down my notes at some points. Like, these jokes are going by too fast. That I had to stop the movie and I got to pause it and write it down what I was thinking because it they just kept coming and this kept coming. And uh, it was and yeah, I, I found it actually kind of relieving 
that I actually just stopped the movie because I was taking, I was trying to write down notes that were important and funny things were happening in the background and distracting me. Yeah, yeah. this movie is absolute, I found this movie to be absolutely hilarious. And a lot of it is just dry humor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's that real dry humor, which just perfectly works. And I would say probably the standouts with that dry humor is Bill Murray is the big standout in this movie. I'd say like he's just hilarious with his dry humor. Oh, yeah. And I think Harold Ramis is also pretty funny with Mm -hmm. his dry humor as well. Yeah. And even like the opening scene with when that introduces Bill Murray's character, the scene where he's like doing the uh, experiment on the two students. so funny. It, the, the, I just love how far they take the joke too, because at first the male student is like getting shocked, and then for even even uh, when he's right or when he's wrong, you know, and then the girl is not getting any penalties at all, even when it's clear that she is totally wrong because it's, he's showing he's picking up cards and he's showing it to him, and there's like a symbol on the back, like an X or an O, and they have to say what they think it is, you know, and they basically are seeing right. through the card, and it's some experiment that he's doing. And then as the scene goes along, you kind of get this bigger sense of favoritism at first, and then it and then it morphs into him like trying to flirt with the with the oh, student. Yeah. And then a guy comes into the into the room and he's trying to kick him out because like, hey man, I need you to get out of here because I'm trying to do an experiment, or whatever. And because they had found some paranormal activity that happened in the library, the scene is just hilarious. Just the way that it's all set up and it just keeps going and starts to that joke. From just being oh, it's funny because it's favorite because he's wrong to he's flirting with the student, you know, and it's it's just like there are jokes like this strewn all throughout this movie, and it makes each scene just so enjoyable. Just the way that they morph the jokes in from the scene from the beginning to the end, and they just keep it going until it reaches a climax, and it's a lot smarter than you think it would have been in the, originally. And I think it's yeah, it's this movie's absolutely hysterical. Yeah. I did also write a number of times in my notes um, Mm -hmm. some of, like, my favorite lines in the movie. And honestly, a lot of this dry humor, you don't really see it in most movies today because most movies today go for, like, the basest of jokes. If they're fart jokes or sex jokes or something, there's just not a whole lot of this dry humor anymore, which I really miss because I was like, this is just wonderful humor. It's, It's so funny and it's so well done and... Um, not just the writing, but how they actually carry it out with the acting. Yeah, is yeah, great. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of modern comedies kind of tend to go more for shock humor, which still can be funny. But when it's shock humor or everything else that's more modern, I it doesn't have. I think my favorite thing about the older, what older comedies, it's just about how smart they are. Because yeah. I know. And a perfect testament to what I'm trying to say is basically anything from Monty Python is what I consider to be very smart humor. It's really dumb, but the way that they execute the humor is what is makes it so good. It's because the humor is so well made and so master class that you wouldn't have ever thought, oh, that's where the joke is headed. And when, right. you, when you go back and think about it, it's like, okay, well, that makes sense how it got from one place to another just because of the, the saying everything. And this movie does that pretty I'd say pretty well. A lot of modern movies don't really do that anymore, which is kind of sad. But yeah, it, I always love that older sense, that older style of humor, just because of how it's how it's put together. I think it's just really hilarious and smart. That's not saying all the all old comedies are you know the best thing ever, but or that all good comedies are the worst thing ever. But yeah, <laughs> well, and this also making me think that the if they're going to remake this, well, then it has big shoes to fill. Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, just going off of the jokes alone so far and acting, uh, 
And I'm like, yeah, this movie is hilarious. It's awesome. If they're going to remake this, they just really got to step up their game, which is going to be really hard to do. Yeah. And I know that there was one joke not long after the introduction of Bill Murray when they go downstairs of the uh, of the library and they're like looking at the aftermath and they see that giant stack of books that reaches all the way, I, I yeah. assume, assuming up, up to the ceiling. Um, <laughs> Bill Murray says, you're right. No human being would ever stack books like this. Yeah. And it's it's just, I don't know, it's just funny. I think it's just funny. Just the way that, especially with Bill Murray and being how sarcastic he is in this mm-hmm. movie, especially in this opening where he's like, oh, I don't care. This is, you know, this is all kind of baloney anyways because this obviously isn't real. And then come to find out, oops, it maybe kind of is, you know. And, I don't know. I just, I just found this entire movie to be hilarious. Well, and especially because, I, like I said, I rewatched this. Yeah. And I picked up on so many things. Oh, yeah. I missed the first time around. So this movie does repeat, like the jokes don't get old and you do, like I missed some stuff. I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Like um, in the beginning with the cards and the guy says, I don't know, is it some wavy lines? It is some wavy lines. Yeah. And Bill Murray is like, today is not your, it's just not your day. And he like yeah. shocks him again. And I'm like, he got it right that time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think one criticism I have that I've begun to notice just in this, Luckily, this doesn't happen all throughout the film, but at least in like the first first half, um, the music tends to have a bit of an issue of building itself up and then just winding down real quick. Mm-hmm. Like the opening song does this a couple of scenes after they find after they get done with the uh, the library, and it, it kind of just builds up and then just cuts off right when the next scene begins. It for me it was distracting. Luckily, this is only for the first half and. After the first half, it doesn't really happen ever again. But this first half definitely has that issue of building up this music and then just cutting it off when it's when it's time to move on instead of right. move, morphing that into the next scene. Yes, and we will talk about that. I I'll just bring it up right now. I think the second one did that. Yeah, it um, did too. There was a couple instances. Um, I didn't really think about it too much in the first. But in the second, which, you know, we will talk more about later for that podcast. But, yeah, the music was, it was just really weird. So, I guess they kind of carried that tradition onto the sequel. Right. They did the same thing. I was like, this is a good song. And then it's, oh, we're, we're done. Okay. Right. With with the opening, it was playing the uh, Ghostbusters theme song. And it kind of got about 30 seconds or so into it. Cut it off, moved on to like a score instead. Luckily, we get the whole theme song later during the montage. But the first was like, I was really getting into it, and they cut it off. I was like, come on. So that, that was very odd. Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of foreshadowing in the beginning, actually. Okay. Because when Sigourney Weaver, I, like I said, I noticed this upon second viewing, not on first. When Sigourney Weaver is um, putting her groceries on the counter, some of the groceries are the Stay Puff marshmallows. Are you serious? Yeah. That's hilarious. I didn't notice that. Yes. So I was like, oh, huh, that's interesting foreshadowing. It, yeah. It kind of doesn't really have anything to do with the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man at the end. Yeah. But like a direct correlation, but it does alert to you there will be, they're calling back to it. Right. And okay, and I, I since we're in this scene too, I do want to talk about Lewis, who is one of the tenants there and he's definitely a f- big friend of Dana. Well, I he think, wishes. 
Yes, I, yeah, or he wishes. I think Lewis is absolutely hysterical. He is my favorite character in this entire movie just because of how quirky and how funny he is. Like one of the lines he says, which kind of almost explains his character completely, and is he's a guy that talks really, really fast and has a really high, really high pitched voice and is kind of strange and is very much a nerd and always gets himself locked out of his gets himself yeah. locked out of his room and then comes back, of course, later in the movie. But he says in one line um, when the first time we meet him. The, he says to Dana, you know, you shouldn't leave your TV on so that the guy, the guy next door phoned the manager. I climbed up the ladder and tried to unplug the cable and stuff like that. And it's just, it's just so funny just, by, just because of how goofy he is. I, I absolutely love Lewis. He's my favorite character in this movie. Yeah. And he, he was really famous for the, um, honey, I shrunk the kids movies. That's right. That's where I know him from. Okay. Yeah. He, I thought he looked familiar. Yeah. He, he was a really funny character and I'm glad that, this kind of like sub character it is utilized yeah in a way that makes sense right. because we're setting up we're setting up Sigourney Weaver in this character and at first i was like okay what do they have to do with the rest of the movie because we're focusing on the ghostbusters here but we're also giving you know plenty of screen time to these other two it seems like right and um, there was just like one slight issue I had, which I guess makes sense eventually. But there's the montage scene of when the Ghostbusters are doing their thing and, you know, New York is going crazy over them. They love them. It keeps cutting back to Sigourney Weaver. You know, she keeps like, oh, chuckling. Ha ha ha. Wow, they're amazing. You know, she's just right. constantly keeping tabs on them, it seems like. And I was like, OK, well, why do we care what she's up to? Why does it keep showing her? And I understand where it's still trying to like keep her character relevant right. until the end of the movie, but to just like going through the movie, it seemed a little bit of an odd choice because it's like, why do we have any attachment to this character? If that makes right. sense, right? I think from from what I saw, it was more or less showing her warm up to the Ghostbusters and warm up to Bill Murray's character. Because when when she first meet when she first meets him, she does not like him, and he's like trying to get in with her, and she's just not having it. But then she eventually warms up to him. But yeah, I think you're right. It is kind of strange that that's how she warms up to him essentially, or how they kind of inserted her into the movie just to keep her relevant and stuff. Right. Okay, I want to talk about another issue that I had with this movie. Okay, and it's the introduction of the black guy i'm trying to remember his name yeah see that's the problem i had too they said his <laughs> name a couple of times but I, I can't remember his name and okay um don't worry this is not a stranger things 2 spoiler at all uh if you've seen any kind of like promotional trailers for it you know they dress up as the ghostbusters for halloween because right. this movie takes place like right when ghostbusters came out and was super popular well i thought it was funny because um Two of the kids are both Vinkman, Bill Murray's character. Yeah. Which is probably easily, you know, one of the most probably popular of the Ghostbusters to have been for Halloween. Right. But um, they they were like, wait, I thought you were going to be, and he kind of like trails off, and he's like, you thought I was going to be the black guy just because I'm black, didn't you? And he's like, nobody remembers his name. Nobody cares about him. He joined the group super late. He's pretty much pointless to the whole endeavor. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly how I felt while watching this movie. Right. Because it doesn't make any sense, his introduction. He's just a random guy that just comes. And the 
the lady, their secretary, is like, do you believe in all this stuff? He's like, if it gives me a good paycheck. And then Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray walk in, and Dan Aykroyd is like, hire him. And I'm like, okay, this is like the one fatal flaw, like just really sloppy storytelling of the movie. Right. It makes absolutely no sense, and it just... It's like, okay, why? Why why do you just like say hire this stranger all of a right. sudden? It doesn't make any sense. That that was a pretty big issue I had with that. Yeah, I, I'm totally in agreement with you because when they when the movie first began and the Ghostbusters were beginning to form, I remember sitting back and thinking to myself, wait a minute, aren't there four of them? Because yeah, before they had introduced the yeah, before they had introduced the new guy. And I was like I thought there were four. Maybe that's in the sequel that I'm thinking of, you know. And then the guy ends up coming, the black guy ends up coming, and they hire him. And I was like, oh, there he is. And I remember seeing back being like, well, why are they introducing him now? I yeah. don't get it. Because it's just so late into the movie that you don't need to be introducing any more characters. And I was thinking maybe, maybe because I, I know that this movie is definitely very much sarcastic. And it's kind of messing around with those paranormal activity movie or shows that were on like there were ghosts in this house and things like that and they would have to go through and they would exercise the ghost or whatever and we have a lot more of those shows now and i kind of saw that there was a they were kind of being sarcastic and more of a satire-ish with it but i just didn't get why they why the guy needed to be there why there needed to be four so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's kind of strange that he would come in like this just so late and have so little to do. Exactly. He really doesn't contribute anything to the movie. Yeah. Uh, except maybe like a funny line that I did like where he was like, do you believe in God? And he's like, I don't know. Never met him. And the black guy is like, I like Jesus's style. I'm like, <laughs> that's kind of cool. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he whenever he was on screen being funny, he was a funny guy, but he just didn't really do much. I guess, for the story. If well, he were cut, nothing much would have really changed, I think. Exactly. But they do carry him into the sequel. Yes. And I have a lot to say about that when we get to that yes. review. But otherwise, that's that's pretty much my only criticism of it. Um, that, that, like, Dan Aykroyd ghost sex dream is really weird and pointless. Yeah. And... Yeah. Otherwise, that's otherwise that's pretty much it. I I always remember watching that as a kid. We would like skip over that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. There are a couple of scenes in here. Where it's just like, oh, this is really pushing the PG rating, it especially really that does. one. Especially that one. But okay, I have to talk about some of these. I I can't get off the humor of this movie. There's one scene when they they go to that really expensive. I think it's a hotel and. Um, there's like there's activity on the on the twelfth floor, and it's when we first see the like, the big green globby ghost, you know. Yeah, he's and, kind of iconic of the series. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's the he's the first one that they get that they catch. <laughs> the first time they try to they try to catch it with I forget the electron rays or I forget what they're called. Uh, the proton positron yes. collider. Yes, that's the one. That's what. Um, when they try to catch it for the first time. 
and the housekeeper's coming out, and he's, like, right right above, right behind the housekeeper, and they shoot it, and they miss, and, like, the housekeeper's stuff just explodes, and she's, like, hiding behind her cart, and she's, like, what are you doing, you know, and then they're kind of, they turn around, and they start talking to her, but in the background, you see her, like, spraying things on the ground and cleaning it up as as she's, like, squatting down, trying to take cover. It's, oh, it's just so funny. I remember, I remember I actually had to pause at that point, because I was laughing so hard that I needed to get, I needed to pay attention to write down what that, what was happening, but I remember seeing this and I was just laughing so hard that it was, oh, it's just so funny. There's, I'll bring up this probably more than once, but the humor in this movie is just so good and I can't get over it. Oh yeah. It's just amazing humor. Um, and again, it's just like so dry. It's just like so unexpected. Right. It's so funny. Like when they're talking about the whole reason they're even able to fund their operation is they took out like three loans and he's like, Harold Ramis is to Dan Aykroyd. He's like, just for the first couple of years alone, that's going to cost you $95,000. Mm-hmm. And I love when Bill Murray's like, back off, man. I'm a scientist. Yes. And yes. Bill Murray's like, that was when you were about to drill a hole in your head. And Harold Ramis is like, it would have worked if you wouldn't have stopped me. <laughs> yes. It's just like this off the wall stuff like that. And yeah, like when they shoot that thing at the, the cleaner lady, mm-hmm. she's like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so funny. And I love, okay, I also the scene when uh, they, okay, <laughs> when they, when they get the hearse and it becomes like their vehicle, you know, yeah. like when they first drive up, I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me because it was a hearse. And yeah. then um, I, I think it was Dan Eckward who, who drove it in. Okay, so he drives up. He drives up the hearse onto the driveway to the for to where the Ghostbusters were at, and he's like, "Oh yeah, it's fine. You know, it just needs new suspension. You know, some new wiring. You know." And then uh, Bill Murray is like, "Okay, well, how much does this cost me?" He goes, "Oh, well, about only about forty eight hundred." He's like, yeah. "Oh, he's like, yeah, but it just needs you know a new door. You know, it needs the new wipers. He just keeps going on about all the things that need to be changed." And Bill Murray just ends up walking off as he's talking, and it moves on to the next scene. It's yeah. just small things like that are just so funny. Yeah, and then when they're buying the building, he's like, what do you think? He's like, I think it should be condemned. It's yes. Like shoddy wiring and this and that. And he's like, hey, does this pole work? And he just, like, does it. He could have, like, broke his body, like, doing that because it could have broke. And he's yeah. like, let's live here. Let's sleep here. And uh, that there's just so much like yeah. that. And it's um, really funny, too, because the pole is wobbling back and forth. I think it's going to fall <laughs> at any moment, too. Oh, yes. my goodness. Well, one of my other favorite lines is... When they're like, we we haven't had time to test our, you know, like proton packs or whatever. Yeah. And Harold Ramis is like, I blame myself. And Bill Murray is like, I do too. (laughs) And then they're like, Bill Murray is like, why worry? Each of us is just wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They flip it on and then it's like, and they they back up and move away. And And I love... Yeah. Oh, I just love that whole hotel scene. That's probably one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie when um, they're just destroying the hotel. They're just yes. destroying it. And um, when the guy calls the the guy from the hotel calls their secretary, uh, she said, yes, they'll be discreet. And then you just see the three walking in with their stuff. And he's like, has anybody seen a ghost? And they're just, <laughs> they're just making a huge mess of everything. And then they are like shooting at that really big expensive chandelier and it falls and uh dan Aykroyd's like i'm sorry that's my bad i did that and bill murray's like it's okay the table broke its fall yes (laughs) yes (laughs) it's just great and then when they're capturing the ghost 
Oh, well, no, no. Before that, Harold Ramis is like shooting, and Bill Murray's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Nice shooting there, Tex. Oh, I just love that. Yeah. And then when they're about to trap the ghost, uh, Dan Aykroyd is like, don't look at the trap. And then Harold Ramis immediately looks at it, and he's like, I looked at the trap, Ray. <laughs> or or the, or when they first use the proton packs, he's like, okay, now we have to be careful. We can't, we have to remember not to cross the streams. And yes. he's like, oh, 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 that's so funny. And of course, that ends up coming back later, and they use it. And oh, it's we just, oh, it's so funny. Oh, the, yeah, yeah this, in, this, in, this introductory uh, hotel scene is so funny. <laughs> oh it's so funny and then the, this whole movie is like this too it's great yeah. oh it's so much it's fun it's great it's great well oh, there's yeah. also a bit of a dark side to this movie it's not all comedy right because yes. we have these um these kind of like hellhound dog giant creature things right which are pretty bad visual effects even yeah. though this movie got nominated for best visual effects right and i'll, I'll say this about the visual effects with the ghosts and stuff, it really works, and most of the yeah. time it looks really good. Like when we first see the uh, the green ghost up on the twelfth floor, that looks really good. Uh, yeah, it's a bit dated now, of course, but back then, and even for eighty four, it looks great. But yeah, these these dogs, there are times when they don't look so good when they're like when they're all claymated and they're flying across the screen. You can yeah. tell that's actually superimposed over that picture, like it's its own film footage imposed over him like that looks really bad and it just looks so fake when they're clearly laying there immobile they're just like moving their heads and their bodies still like that 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 did not age well at all that's probably one of the biggest kind of like stinkers of this movie is that stuff but but like you said the ghosts look good um like the ghost the woman at the beginning i was super impressed oh yeah um now when she like transformed into that i was like eh but right. Right. and even the like the marshmallow man at the end looks really good yeah it does and it's i just love because okay what i'm i know i mentioned this in blade runner but one of my big things that i always love is just practical effects and even though the effects of the effects in this movie don't look so good you it does have that nice like 80s appeal to them that just kind of makes you go crazy and i love it so much and that's in even though the ghosts and the hell and the uh, the hounds are kind of kind of iffy at points, just the fact that it has that eighties vibe just doesn't even bother me. Almost just it kind of balances it out essentially, and I love it. Sure. Well, something I thought clearly has to be like a callback to The Exorcist um, is when Sigourney Weaver is levitating on the bed. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Oh, it makes so much sense now. Okay. I was like, okay, this clearly, like the like the whole possession scene, because yeah. she speaks in that creepy voice, which the little girl does too in The Exorcist. Right. And then she like starts levitating. I'm like, oh, okay, I see what they're doing. Right. And then he spins her. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. All right. It, it clicks now. <laughs> yeah. Well, The Exorcist had come out about 11 years before. But it had really terrified a lot of people. A lot of people had seen it. So I'm sure right. people at the time when they go to see Ghostbusters, they'd be like, oh, okay, this is pretty reminiscent of The Exorcist. Right. And yeah, at this point too, this thing I got confused on because the gargoyles um, kind of break out from the building and then they take over Dana and then eventually Lewis. 
because they need to be like the key master and the gatekeeper. Yeah, to, that uh, was funny. Yeah, to unlock Zool. I got kind of confused at this point okay. because it was kind of sudden that these gargoyles were kind of breaking out from uh, the, their shells, essentially, on the top of the of the tower. And it was just kind of like, what? It eventually made sense later. But at first, it's just like, what's happening? But, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're to understand eventually that it's like the building or the place is a hotbed for this yeah. jewel to come back. I don't know. I don't even remember the explanation, really. But it's like, yeah, why were there these perfectly made gargoyles and the the architecture was awfully convenient for yeah. that to happen right i do remember that uh the guy who designed that building was i think a witch there's a big exposition scene that explains all of this i know i wrote it down but essentially there's a guy who was kind of involved with like some witchy things or ghostly stuff and then he designed that building really um, and then what happened was uh, the building was made to, like, Zool or whatever was made to be like, trapped in this building. And so when those gargoyles kind of broke out, it made sense because that's where that's where Zool is at. And then, of course, when Dana opens up her fridge and that everything was in there. Um, so it kind of makes sense in that aspect. But it's kind of goofy. But I can't mark it against the movie because it's meant to be do- it's meant to be goofy. And it's kind yeah. of meant to just be like, kind of like, oh, yeah, look at this, haha, you know. And how, like, this architect had a, it was magical and created this building that houses Zool and all sorts of stuff. It's it's goofy, but it's it's stupid, and it's meant to be stupid. And I think it's, it is, I think it plays just fine into the movie after you look back at it. At first, I was very confused, but looking back at it now, it makes a little bit more sense. Sure. Well, and it's also interesting because they bring the Book of Revelation into it. And yeah. That, yeah. This is kind of supposed to be like the possible end of times or end of the world or something when right. the dead will be raised and whatnot. And that's kind of fun. That's a little funny. And we see that, you know, New York is breaking out in chaos with all of those ghosts. Right. Um, and I... I didn't go, I didn't look up what Revelation 7.12 said. I'm just going to take their word for it. But I did think that was kind of funny they brought the Bible into it. I was not expecting that at all, to try and tie it back to some biblical, you know, thing. Right. And it really could be that they were just kind of poking fun at, like, horror films, too. Um, Like The Omen. Sure. The Omen, Or things of that nature. You know, just to kind of make fun of it, because if there's one thing that Ghostbusters is, it's very much a time capsule of American culture in the 80s. Right. Um, just by the way of all the all the pop culture references and everything that are inside of it. So, yeah, I, I think that although it, whether it's true or not, in the, that that's the verse in the Bible, um, I think that that is just kind of poking fun at, you know, ghost movies and such and things of the sort. So... Well, and of course, in the in the kind of the final battle, it's really iconic with the marshmallow. Um, it was hilarious when she's like, "Whatever you think of that, you choose your destructor," is what yep. Zool says. And then all of a sudden, it has been chosen, and they're like, "Wait, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Who thought of something?" And he's like, "I thought of him. He was my favorite childhood snack. We used to roast him over the fire as a family, Mister Stay Puffed." And I. 
I don't know. That was really funny. And he's like, I tried to think of the most harmless thing, something that would never hurt yes. us. <laughs> yes, I love that. Mr. Stay puffed. Oh, it's... Oh. <laughs> and honestly, that it's kind of like a boss battle, I guess you could liken it yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Today. But it's it doesn't... It's not that big of a boss battle, though. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty... Uh, like it's pretty easy. Um, very reminiscent of you know the classic Japanese monster movies like Godzilla yeah. and stuff. Right. But it just puts a really funny twist on it. And, oh yeah. Um, I always remember I was kind of scared of that Lady Zool thing. Yeah, that it was, was weird. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, it was kind of a bit <laughs> terrifying for PG. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but it that uh that's really not too big of a thing. Um, yeah fighting mr stay puffed and the only way i can reckon them um surviving by crossing the streams is they were so well coated with the marshmallow cream Mm -hmm. that it like preserved their bodies from being affected that that was my thought Right. And I know that one of the Ghostbusters does bring up that, oh, there's a possibility that nothing really will happen. And so, mm. and then of course, they all four of them cross the streams, which I think is even funnier because before we just had two of them uh, capturing the ghost. But, okay, now there are a couple, there are lines in this, in this climax that are so funny that I need to bring up. Like, I'm terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. <laughs> or Mother Puss Bucket. <laughs> or I feel I like the f- or uh, I feel like the floor of a taxi cab. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, this movie's good to watch with subtitles. Yes, yes, it is. And you get a lot this, more out of it because I missed some of those. Yeah, and like you said, this movie definitely rewards on repeat viewings just because of how fast the jokes fun come by and how and how just kind of smart and clever they are. This, oh, yeah, this ending, really I, this ending, I just kept writing down lines just because they were just so funny. Well, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters is hilarious. I haven't had this much fun with the movie for quite a while just because of how clever and how smart and how fast the jokes come through. And I've only seen this once and I wanted to go back and watch it again just because of how quick this movie moves. And that's what I have to say. This movie is just a lot of fun. It's very American, I would say. It's, like I said before, it's very much a time capsule, too, of just American culture in 1984 and all the pop culture references. Like we mentioned, we had Exorcist. But they're so subtle that you almost wouldn't even recognize it. It's just kind of one of those movies that just kind of sticks around as in like American culture. And it's just kind of engraved because that's what life was back in the 80s. And I know that I did have a few criticisms, like the music kind of cuts from when it, when it, when it moves on from one scene to the next scene, it kind of like almost cuts off really quick. And instead of kind of morphing into the next scene and then switching off there. Some of the visual effects uh, are pretty dated, like the dogs are, the claymated dogs are pretty bad. Now, the ghosts, on the other hand, look really good and still kind of hold up to today. You can, I mean, you can tell that it's, that it's fake, but it doesn't look terrible. It doesn't look super cheesy. And that's kind of one thing I love about this film. It's so, it's kind of timeless, just because of, like, the story and everything. It's just so quirky and so goofy yet everything is in the world that they live that is made up it works so well all together that 
I absolutely adored it. And I would definitely own this on Blu-ray. I want to go back and watch it again just because of how much fun I had the first time. So for me, uh, yeah, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. It's a solid recommend. If you haven't seen it, I mean, it's a classic American movie. So yeah, absolutely. Go and watch it. It's great. I love it. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said that better myself. Um, Ghostbusters is, I was, honestly, I was surprised at how well done it is. Uh, you just don't get many comedies that have this kind of like such dry humor and the characters, like the chemistry works so well and the story like comes together. It, it's so much fun. And a lot of the side characters also, uh, they do a lot to really um, enhance the movie. Like the EPA guy, for instance, he was so much fun. It, it was so funny. Yeah. And uh, they really do factor into the plot in important ways. So I was just really impressed, really loved Ghostbusters. The humor was just top notch and the story was just so much fun. Um, if you can realize this movie was in the 80s and you can overlook some of the poor visual effects and... The introduction of an addition of Winston. I looked his name up. The uh, black character's name is That's Winston. Right. That's right. Played by Ernie Hudson. Um, if you can kind of just go with that, I guess, even though it really doesn't make any sense and it just it's just a bizarre plot point, <laughs> plot yeah. addition. Uh, if you can go back, go go past that, then this movie, you're going to have a blast with it. Um, I definitely want to watch this like every October, every Halloween it is so much fun. So I'm going to give it the same rating. Um, I I actually kind of toyed with a 9, but I'm like, that's that's probably too high. Um, so the 8 feels like the perfect rating. Um, this movie is a high recommend. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Loved Ghostbusters. Definitely going to own it on Blu-ray. Yeah. And for me, maybe my rating will change as time goes on and I watch it more and more and catch more things. But initial viewing, 8 out of 10, I think is like the perfect score. Maybe it'll raise to a 9. I, I don't know. We'll have to see. Sure. Well, anyways, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to uh, the first installment in our Ghostbusters retrospective series. Make sure to tune in next week at the exact same time because we will be releasing our review of Ghostbusters 2. And then the week after that, we will be finishing, for now at least, our Ghostbusters retrospective series with Ghostbusters. It's just called Ghostbusters. It's Ghostbusters 2016. Except the big difference is instead of an all uh, male Ghostbusters team, we now get an all female Ghostbusters teams. Well, that'd be interesting. I wonder what the, I wonder what new they're going to have with it. I've heard rocky things, but I guess we'll find out. I've heard I've heard anything from it's great and a lot of people liked it to like Alan said some rocky things where uh, it really didn't uh, hold up or didn't really do well compared to the original um and that's kind of always the fear of remakes right anyway i am looking forward to it uh just with the just to see what they can do i'm really hoping they don't just rely on visual effects to carry them through this movie like a lot of modern day films do right but i'm i'm interested to see what uh these uh next generation of and not snl men but snl women can do with it so i'm intrigued but make sure that'll be in two weeks, that episode. Make sure to uh, stick with the podcast and look out for that one. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss anything. And we just want to say thanks again. We do have a Christmas special. We just finished up our Halloween. Well, we just released, actually, the uh, Halloween special. Yeah. 
And we want to make sure to do that annually every year. And uh, just a teaser for next year, uh, it does have to do with ghosts. In fact, it's another name for ghost. So that's a little bit of a teaser for next year. We'll see if you can figure that out. But uh, we will be doing a uh, Christmas special. So look out for that. Oh, also, by the way, we're now on Reddit. Woo! Oh, yeah. Make sure to engage with us on there. Absolutely. That is slash silver screen guide, all one word. Yes. Make sure to join us there. Make sure to join us on our social media and sign up for our weekly newsletter so you never miss a thing. But until next time, listeners. Well, anyways, viewers, or not viewers. (laughs) This is no YouTube video. Maybe it will be. I don't know.